All right. We are waiting for this thingy to show me that it's running, up and running. You probably can see me, but I, you know the drill. I have to make sure that it's working right. So let's see here. Get ready, it says. Oh, internet can see you now. All right, very good. Uh, all right, everybody. Hope you're doing well. <laughs> what, what a day. What an, what an afternoon. What a, what a, pff, we got a lot to get to. Okay, so here's how this is going to go. My name is Luke Thomas. This is my UFC 242 post-fight special. I'm going to get to results. I'm going to get to spoilers. I'm going to get to analysis. I'm going to get to your questions as well. So if you are watching this and you don't want spoilers, now is your time to get away. Because what's coming up next, let's get into the details, shall we? Yes, indeed. All right. <coughs> Jesus. <clears throat> All right. Thank you guys so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Um, we crossed 100,000 today. I can't tell you how moved I am by that, but I want to put a pin in that part of the, of the discussion. We'll come back to it later because I know some folks are tuning in. And what they really want to hear is about UFC 242. They don't want to hear my sappy thank yous. I'm going to get to my sappy thank yous at the end of uh, today's. Uh, podcast. By the way, this will go up on SoundCloud. I have to establish a new, um, a new uh, account on iTunes. MMA Fighting took my old one, um, and I got to put one on Spotify as well. But I will do that for you guys. Um, okay, let's get to it. Um, kind of an unbelievable moment here, I, although I suppose it really never is all that unbelievable, huh? All right, so let's get to it. Spoilers be damned. Uh, UFC 242 took place at a place called The Arena in Yas Island, Abu Dhabi United Arab Emirates. And uh, let's start with your main event. Habib Nurmagomedov defeats Dustin Poirier via submission, 206 of the third round, in a fight that wasn't particularly close. Um, one moment where Poirier hit him with a nice punch. I still got this thing showing up on the right side of my screen. Let me kill this so I don't get distracted. Um, there was a scenario where he had landed a nice punch, and uh, it looked like it had hurt Habib a little bit, but not enough to do really a whole lot with. And then that was it. Habib Nurmagomedov, let me pull up his record here if I may, um, so we can get through this. He has now fought in 28 fights, 28 professional fights anyway, and hasn't even been knocked down. He's never even been knocked down. Can you believe that? It's just it's just shocking. And he's faced strikers like Dustin Poirier, Al Iaquinta, Conor McGregor, Edson Barboza, Michael Johnson, Rafael Dos Anjos, um, you know, and some other ones of sort of a decent variety. Pr pretty remarkable. Uh, he's won two in a row via submission, three of the last five via submission, uh, dating back to 2016. Just a remarkable turn of events. All right. So I put it out late last night, but if you guys had a chance to watch it, I feel like the analysis on both of the guys turned out to be pretty prescient, if, if I do say so myself, quite humbly. <laughs> but I mean to say the following. What did we notice in the Dustin Poirier video? Whenever a, a, a Jim Miller or a um, Eddie Alvarez or even a, a uh, Anthony Pettis, which of course are not even remotely the same kind of wrestler as Habib Nurmagomedov, whenever they would go for the takedown, he would lock up some kind of a front choke or a guillotine or you know, high elbow, ten finger, whatever he needed to do. 
and then that would get the hands to come up. And then when the hands came up, he could then do things where he could clinch, break, and then strike. He was never able to do that. One of the critical differences is he, you saw him go for the guillotine series. Dude, he's got a nice guillotine. You could look at some of the mechanics on that, especially when he reapplied it for like the second and third time when he could really get leaning to the side that the guillotine is on, which is what you want to do. He'd have the foot on the top, the knee on the inside to block him, turning the way they need to turn to block it. I mean, that was a nice guillotine, man. It was a really nice guillotine. Um, but he had never jumped guard before. He'd never jumped guard before. He had always done it standing, which I thought was like that middle ground where you had just the right amount of risk assessment involved. You're not going to fight the wrestling takedown with wrestling, so that's a risk. You're going to apply the submission. You're, you're, you know, you're going outside the normal response to these kinds of things. So there's your risk. But on the other hand, uh, you're not jumping guard so that if he pops his head out, you're in a bad position. But he did that. And, and I will say this, that last guillotine series where you saw Habib have to switch to his back several times, dude, that was close. That was tight. That would have submitted lesser men for sure. Like a, Dustin Poirier is a black belt, and he's got a good guillotine as part of that. Just not, just not enough. Like I mentioned this with the um, Cormier and the Stipe fight, which was a fight I totally got wrong, but one thing I was really thinking about was Everyone was like, oh, Cormier won the first three rounds, and he could have fought differently. He could have wrestled. All true. Or, you know, two to one rounds or whatever. But let's say he was winning. And he could have wrestled. Okay, maybe. But if you have to ask yourself about the striking, just the striking, here is the real lesson that Cormier has to face. What do you do when you're able to implement your game? When you're able to do the things that you like to do? When you're able to really get after people in the way you like to get after them with all the different setups, all the different executions, all the different distance, all the different shot selection, and they still don't go away. Now what? Now what do you do? That's the lesson he had to face. Now maybe he brings back wrestling, Cormier does for that fight, if there's a third one, and we'll see what happens. But for Dustin Poirier, I'm not saying that he got to bring his game to life because in many capacities he didn't. But one of his favorite things to do when he's being taken down is to go for that front headlock guillotine series. He did that. And he had an and, and that last series, man, he had a really nice bite on it. That would have that would have gotten lesser guys for sure. But what do you do when you when you score that and it's just not enough? You know, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Um, when your best is not enough. You have to either find another better, a, a, a different best, or you have to kind of settle for, you know, what's there. Um, that's a painful lesson, man. It's a painful lesson. Now, that was the Dustin Poirier video. The second video I, I put out last night, the one I referenced uh, before I got on that tangent, was that, what did I tell you guys to expect? It's not merely that Habib is, like, good at wrestling or good at grappling. It's that in every atomized stage where he's making contact and then he has to put his hands in a certain place and then they transition to a different phase and then every subsequent move down the line. He's good and competent and, and sometimes excellent at all of them. All of them. All the way through. So that's why people are like, oh, he's tenacious. He's tenacious because he has command of the positions. He's not just barreling into you. You can be tenacious without skill. It's that he is, he, the tenacity is matched with, you can hear my wife playing with my baby, um, 
skill at all the different positions. So what that leads to is stickiness. I even tweeted about it. Look at how long, once he makes contact, he spends keeping contact with Dustin. Now, they might keep it in different capacities. He might get a takedown. Dustin pops to a knee. Now he's trying to get two arms on both sides of the ribs to force Dustin's hands down to the mat. And then Dustin eventually stands and then gets taken back down and then tries to hit a switch. There's lots of different things happening. But look at how long he is maintaining contact. As long as he is maintaining contact, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. I don't know that anybody can match him in that dimension of the game, at least doing what they're doing, which is he tries to take them down, and then they try to build themselves back to the top. And um, I just don't think that works, man. That's why Tony Ferguson, people are like, oh, Tony Ferguson would get taken down by Habib. Yeah, he would. He would. But Tony would try to do, I think, different things. I think Tony would try to do uh, a lot of jujitsu play from his guard. I, I was wondering about this. I was like, are we going to see Dustin play with the guard a little bit? Because, I mean, the guillotine is obviously jujitsu, but, you know, what are we going to see in, in, the, in the event that he's on the floor, right? So there's one way to look at this, which is, okay, if he takes you down, you got to build yourself back to your feet. But, like, if you do that, Habib is ready for every subsequent stage of what you could possibly do. One knee up, no knee up. Bending over hands down, not bending over hands down. One underhook, no underhook. Two underhooks, one underhook on one side, you know, whatever the side of the underhook is on, flat against the mat, flat against the floor, on a hip, knee guard, uh, or sorry, yeah, knee shield, um, Z guard. He, he's got an answer at all those positions, right? In terms of like you using that as a mechanism to climb back to your feet. So I mentioned this, like what really stands out in terms of the difference between um, Gleason Tebow and the other fighters is that Gleason Tebow, yes, stopped takedowns, but created separation. And, and again, it was fleeting. It wasn't like it was super long lasting, but that was really the key. You got to get him off of you. And you heard Dustin Poirier say when he went back to his corner, he's like, I can't get this fucking guy off of me. I can't get him off. Right. And that was when you knew there was trouble. Because if you can't get him off and then you're not really playing a jiu-jitsu game like a Brian Ortega, like come into my guard, bro, kind of scenario, what what choice do you have at that point? Um, you could land a big punch, you know, on the way in or something. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the answer would be there. But you're pretty much out of options. So that stickiness is how he got him, right? And it was just classic Habib, right? Um, shoot in from open space, drive him back to the fence. Uh, and by the way, did you notice he would always wait behind where, where Dustin was behind the two black lines? Dustin's waiting for some big opportunity, and meanwhile he finds himself behind the black two lines. Poirier, excuse me, um, Habib level changes, shoots a double, doesn't really go for the double like in open space there. Drives him back to the fence. Once he gets him to the fence, then the magic starts to work. He either goes for a double and he scoops him or he goes for a single and then they runs the pipe and then he goes a different way and then he pulls him up on the hip and then trips and then throws him down like he did to Ally Aquinta and then so on and so on and so on and so on. I mean, this just went on. And then you get, you built, you know, you get back, he tries to hit a switch and then he can't come out. Um, he gets, it ends up getting mounted. Then he has to like shrimp out and get a knee out to get across the belly and and then you're just you're just playing catch up by somebody, and and this is which I said this I tweeted this, and I think some folks will take issue with it, and I don't really I, I will not walk it back. He's the best MMA grappler I've ever seen. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean he's the best 
at submissions? No. Does that mean he has the best ground and pound I've ever seen? No. Does it mean he's the best back taker I've ever seen? No, because he's not. He's not any of those things. Uh, Debbie and Maya might be the best back taker. Um, best ground and pound? I'm not sure. I don't know. I have to think about that a little bit more. But And, you know, best submissions, you might go back to Debbie and Maya. You might go to, I don't know, if Jacare really wanted to. So, uh, you, you could pick other ones, basically. But in terms of combining a legitimate threat into all three smoothly, I don't know who's better. I don't know who can take you down, maintain contact, and you can't tell whether you have to block the ground and pound, whether you have to worry about your back being taken, or a submission all at the same time. Opponent over opponent over opponent, year over year over year. Challenge over challenge over challenge. I don't know who does that. I don't know who does that. Not not at that level. Not not in that unique way. Consider like I mentioned this before. Like Covington's really good at getting control and sticking to you in the same way Habib is, but he doesn't have the same positional advancement threat. He does certainly doesn't have the same ground and pound threat, and he doesn't have the same submission threat. It's not the same. Uh, Kamar Usman can get you down, and he can ground and pound, but he's not really the same kind of submission threat. Uh, Demi and Maya can get you down, depending. He's got an unorthodox style. Um, and, um, and he can submit you, but he's not really all that much for ground and pound. Ben Askren, when he can get going, obviously got great takedowns, uh, and he's got good positional advancement, but not the heaviest ground and pound. And he's got some submissions, but that's not really his forte either. Right. Habib's got all of those things, uh, at a higher level on average than those other guys. He does not have the same specialization per se. But when he can combine all of that stuff in the same way that he does, dude, I don't know who can do that. I don't, I don't know who can match that. I don't know. And I don't think the answer is I don't think anybody can. Uh, not in the way that he does it. He is a remarkable talent. He is the best MMA grappler I've ever seen be- for those reasons. And he's doing it at lightweight against v- <laughs> very, very tough guys. Very tough guys, man. Um, and he's just making it look effortless, you know? And then he beats up on these guys to the point where certain positions feel a little static, feel a little bit calm. You know, there's a, you're in the eye of the hurricane. And that's when he snatches up the that's when he snatches up the choke, you know? That's how he got Dustin. Dustin let his guard down for a moment, metaphorically speaking, of course. And then he just slithered, you know, the arm through. He's uh I, I it, to, if you're gonna beat him. You cannot beat him where I, I don't think it's a problem to try and, uh, you know, I don't I want to wrestle him. I don't want to be taken down. Okay, fine. I think that part's fine. His overall takedown percentage is 44%, so keep that in mind. Um, you have to do something different. This idea of I'm going to get taken down and then I'm going to build myself back up on my hand and then my elbow and then whatever else I'm going to do, that, that, that's the key to doing it. Nah. Mm-mm. Unless you're just way better than I can like see around the division. I don't know who. I don't know who's going to do that, to be quite honest with you. That's why Ferguson to me is intriguing because I don't think Ferguson can stop his takedown. Again, I don't think anyone in that division can stop his takedown. That to me is not the issue. The issue would be once he gets there, Ferguson will go balls out with attacks from guard. And that, to me, is kind of interesting. I wonder what that might do. You see a lot of guys go for leg locks, not as a way to necessarily score a leg lock, but as a way to get the person to retreat. 
uh, and again, as, as a way to create space, maybe that's the way to do it. Maybe there's maybe there's something there. Maybe maybe you know uh, you know who's got good ground and pound from underneath, Tony Ferguson. So to me, he he would be an intriguing uh, an intriguing person. But it would it's to me it's not even who, who you get in there anymore. At this point, if you're an MMA coach and you're coaching up someone to fight Habib. I'm not even saying like you know if you want a couple of times to try and build yourself back up right he gets Habib gets the takedown and you want to plant a hand and then you want to fire an underhook and you want to stand against the fence I'm not even saying try that for or not to try that for a couple of times you know knock yourself out do it but you have to build a camp around the idea that that's not going to work and so then what are you going to do now now okay plan A which is everyone has the same plan A oh no 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 that person's implementation of plan A, they didn't do it right. I can do a better job of it. No, it turns out like no one can really do it. So now you have to have a plan B. Who's got a good plan B and, and who can make uh, uh, maybe sense of that? And by the way, maybe that doesn't work either, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe even that ends up failing. I don't know. It just seems to me like how many guys have to try this bit where they get taken down, try to roll to their base and stand, and they end up getting just absolutely demolished. The answer is, I can tell you, 28 of them. 28 of them have tried it, and look where they are. It doesn't. It just doesn't work, man. It just doesn't work. You can't. You can't let him overrun you. You have to incorporate pieces of it. I'm not saying you have to abandon it completely. You want to keep certain elements of it, but you are, If you want to beat this guy, you have got to do something differently. You have got to. You have got to make a contact liability for him. Because right now, whenever he makes contact with you, it's a liability for you, not for him. And as long as that is the case, you're in trouble, man. You're in trouble with this guy. It's just, it, it, uh, he is such a next level talent. Now the question is, by the way, who saw this match and was like, oh yeah, Connor would definitely do well in a rematch. I mean, get that shit out of here. I looked at this one, I was like, no, no chance. No chance, Lance, would he do better in a rematch. You mean you're, let me see, you're taking time off and punching old dudes in the bar, and you're out here staying relatively active, fighting uh, Dustin Poirier's of the world, getting better at the game that you already have a massive lead on the rest of the division. And I'm to think that a rematch later on would be different because you could do things differently. If your game plan is, once I get taken down, I'm going to build myself back up along the fence, you're going to get fucked up. And I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Conor McGregor. I don't care if you're Dustin Poirier. I don't care if you're Kevin Lee. I don't care if you're, uh, you know, you name it. And those guys are tough, amazing fighters. You have got to do something different. Otherwise, it's going to be a long night, player. You might be able to hear my kid crying. If so, I apologize. I, uh, you know, it's, what, is it time for her nap? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, all right, let's see here. Let me see how things are going. I want to make sure that the feed is... Oops, oops, oops. Turn that off. There we are. Make sure the feed looks good. Yeah, it looks all right. Pretty good for a 3 p.m., I suppose, or a 3 p.m. Uh, to 2 p.m. card, I should say. Um, yeah, you can hear my, my kid crying. All right. So now, what does this mean for the rest of the division? Um, well, here's what I would say. For... I mean, okay. So I had mentioned Tony Ferguson as an interesting test case because of the skills he has where he could maybe fight Habib in a bit of a different way. That's one reason to make the fight. Here's another reason to make the fight. 
there's no other fight to make at lightweight. Now, let me pull up the lightweight rankings, such as the rankings matter. They're at least a relatively helpful guidepost for who's out there. Here's how it stands right now. Now, this will be adjusted based on the results. Um, let's see. You've got, let's go five up. You've got Gaethje, Cerrone, McGregor, Ferguson, Poirier, and Nurmagomedov. Now, the only, I, you know what? I'll walk that back a little bit. Tony fighting with jiu-jitsu could be interesting. Uh, the other one is how long can Justin Gaethje resist the takedown? Justin Gaethje has shown, let me pull up his uh, numbers here if I may. Insofar as the UFC is concerned, Justin Gaethje has shown, let's see this. Bum, bada, bum, 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 bum. Justin Gaethje has shown 80% takedown defense. Who got a takedown on him? Uh, Michael Johnson apparently got one and Eddie Alvarez apparently got one. I have to go back and revisit those, but in any event, you would have to be, um, that's an interesting test case where, okay, maybe you can just straight up stop the takedown and then get bombed on. And like, I've noticed Habib seems to like, if you try to like technically jab him and then circle, I don't know how much damage that does, but if you kind of like bite down on your mouthpiece and just kind of swing at him, he seems to oblige that a little bit, which makes the Justin Gaethje one kind of interesting. Now I know Justin Gaethje next weekend is going to be fighting Donald Cerrone. So I guess we'll see how that goes. If Gaethje wins that, that becomes interesting. But even then, that's not really the guy for this. For this, uh... That's not who should be next. Tony Ferguson has, I think it was a 12-fight win streak. Tony Ferguson has done the incredible. Tony Ferguson, and I know, and look, look, I'll give credit to the UFC. I get it. They have tried to make this fight, what, five times, something like that? Four times, five times, whatever it is. They have tried. They have, they have, they have legitimately tried. But here's the funny part about that. Every time that fight falls through, these guys keep winning whenever they move on to whatever is next in their lives. Habib hasn't lost ever, and Tony hasn't lost since 2012. So when they are getting put together and it falls through and they go on to do something else, they just win and win and win and win. Which is to say, every time the fight falls through and then it comes back around, we're like, I think that's the fight to make, y'all. It becomes more important than the last time they tried to make it. If Habib Nurmagomedov isn't the best lightweight of all time, and he probably is, but let's say he's not for just the sake of argument, even if he's not at this point, a win over Tony... I mean, that would be the nail in the coffin in the argument. And again, you might say, oh, well, he's already that. Okay, fine. I wouldn't argue too heavily with you. Uh, it's somewhat debatable based on a couple of other factors about like title defenses and whatnot. But, um, and he only has a title in weight class and Penn had a title in tube and blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. But I'm just pointing out, even if it's not ironclad, you beat that guy and it's ironclad. You're talking about a, 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 a development in the game where guys were able to go on these kinds of winning streaks where they beat every tough SOB in front of them for year after year after year after year and then you put them together and then if Habib wins that it's like I don't know what I don't know what more of a validating I don't know what more of a validating uh, win he, he he could have you might hear my kid crying Here, let me text my wife because that is super loud You guys hear that? Hang on real quick. Oh, my mother-in-law just came home from Colombia. That's what it is. That's why everyone's doing the thing. She got home from Bogota today. All right. Neither here nor there. 
that is the fight that they have to make. And by the way, hold on. I almost bought, or not I bought, I almost rented a new studio out not too far from here. Um, one of those like WeWork kind of places. It's not WeWork, but it's like a different kind of place like that. But it was too loud. Luzita! Let me text her. You want to call her on the air? Let's try this. Okay. Here, let's try. We'll WhatsApp her. For once, she's not on her phone. All right. Fuck that. Make that fight. Make that fight is the long story short there. I apologize for that intermission. Make that fight. There is no other fight you can possibly make. There is no other fight that is that important. There is no other fight... There is no other fight in lightweight history that has an analog to that, where you've got an undefeated champion in the way that he has been running through competition with a not undefeated challenger, but on this, you know, just just ridiculous streak that is in its own regard, if not as impressive, pretty goddamn close. And then forget even all that they tried to put them together, but they want to put them together at a later date. There, there is no analog in UFC lightweight history of that. If you look at Penn's lightweight defenses like Shirk and Florian and Sanchez, they don't have the same relationships. And if you look at other ones like McGregor, I mean, he beat Alvarez coming off of the Aldo win. That's incredible. But they didn't have like they they didn't represent the same kinds of things in terms of lightweight dominance, the premier uh, division in that regard. Like none of none of that was the case. It would be historic for just that reason to say nothing of the fact that. Ferguson is deserving of the opportunity. So just think about that. It's like a fight that they have tried to make, and I get it. I give the UFC credit, and I know they're probably snake bitten, and they're like, "Ugh, I understand. I under, I completely get it." I, I'm just saying there is no fight that they have made before in lightweight history that is like it. They've never done that. They've never had an opportunity to do that. Now is your chance. Now is your chance. Now is your chance right here. This is the moment. And if they do, God bless them, because that is what we need. And maybe Habib runs through them, or maybe he doesn't. I don't really know what the answer would be, but I know that we need to have that worked out for us. Um, Truly historic, lightweight moment if they're able to make it in that regard. But let me just say one more thing about Habib, if you're just joining us. And again, like the video, subscribe to the channel. If you put a donation in the uh, Super Chat, let me make sure I can see this. If I can. Which hand is it? This one? Yeah. Put a donation in, or sorry, you can subscribe here. Put a donation in the Super Chat. I'll get to your question at the end um, of today's program. So, so last thing about Habib is, you know, I think Ben Folks at The Athletic had written a pretty interesting column about it, which is, you know, you got this guy like Ramzan Kadyrov. But by the way, Ramzan Kadyrov's like normalization inside MMA is just a complete indictment of the sport. 
Um, and I don't really know what to do about it. I'm not sure what can be done about it because the UFC, again, people are like, oh, now that UFC is on ESPN, is that going to make all this, is that going to act as a disinfectant, you know, to all the bad things that happens in MMA? Nope, it's going to be an accelerant, actually, because no one really cares about MMA enough to really dig. And then when you show it to them, uh, they either don't believe it or just don't care. So uh, it turns out that the imprimatur of having ESPN next to your name ends up being just like, oh, people are like, oh, UFC's and uh, ESPN, oh, it must be... Everything must be above board. And for the most part, I suppose that it is, just not with that. I don't know if he was a guest of UFC. I don't know if they had, didn't have I, – I don't, I don't know how you deal with st- some of this stuff. And by the way, I don't <laughs> – I'm not going to hold it against reporters for not asking about it while they're in Abu Dhabi. We're good on that. You know, God only knows what would happen in a place as repressive as that. But afterwards, someone needs to ask about it. Okay, here's the thing about Habib. I don't I – don't, that, that stuff, that, 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 associ- that association that he has, even if it's just, you know – he doesn't like the guy. Just has to keep up appearances for the sake of health and safety. Fine, you know. I think stranger things have happened, but um, enjoy him while he's around, man. Enjoy him while he's around. They are. They don't come around like this hardly at all, in any weight class, in any era, where somebody can do this to his peers. This, you know, his well, his style is labor intensive, but. Um, this effortlessly, this effortlessly, like he is that good. He is that unique. He is that special. He, he, he when he is gone, there are not going to be the, the next person to replace him is going to be far away. Uh, not, not on the heels of him at all. And I think the last thing I would say is after watching Habib do what he does, which by the way, he is not normal. We all understand that. And then watching all of the Contender series, it's like, you know what? This whole theory we had about how what we really want is to guys to be well-rounded and they start training in their teens, and by the time they turn 18, they're good at everything. Yeah, no. Mm-mm. Don't think I like that idea at all, actually. It turns out that they just end up being mediocre at everything. What I want is somebody who's a specialist. Now, they've got some breadth and some depth to that specialty. I don't mean one-trick pony. I mean specialist over uh, a dimension or two of the game, and then you train them up on the other one. It turns out that's the best way to get somebody who is just, even if not merely good, interesting. I, I prefer that at this point than to like, I'm super well-rounded. Don't care. I want somebody who is dangerous. I want somebody who people have to like think about in their camp, like, fuck, how are we going to fight this guy? Or lady. That's what I want, and that's what Habib provides. And to a degree, that's what Tony Ferguson provides because he's got skills everywhere, and he's got this crazy unpredictability, and he takes risk, and he is he is willing to like score damage. That's the way to go. That's really that's what you're looking for there. So interesting to note. All right, again, make sure everything is above board there. Sorry about the uh, delay in watching all of that. Okay. Let's get to the quickly, just run through some of these other results. Um, Paul Felder defeating Edson Barboza, split decision. What a trash scorecard. 27-30, 29-28, that's fine. And then 30-27. How do either of those guys get a 30-27 scorecard? How is that even possible? In the first fight, if you went back and you watched the original one, Felder has um, Felder didn't really push back at all. Uh, Bar- Barboza behind the two black lines. You notice that the people who do have success, whether that's um, uh, for different reasons, Ferguson or Gaethje or you name it, 
and they can really push him back. That's when he becomes something kind of different. He can't set his feet. He can't spin because he has no space behind him, and on and on and on. Uh, he did that much more this time. He did not do that the first time. I did think some of that, you know, he was like, oh, I threw all those spinning stuff that didn't really make a lot of sense in the first fight. He still did some of that in this one. Um, but he was much better about pushing him back. I, it's not that I, I thought Barboza won the first two rounds and then lost the third. It's not even that I mind that Barboza lost because, yeah, I guess it was close enough or something. H- how on earth do you score three rounds per fa- per, for Paul Felder? How do you score the third round for Edson Barboza? I don't, I don't understand that one at all. And that really is damaging for Edson Barboza. I think that means he's lost four of his last five, if I'm not mistaken now. Yes, he lost to Habib, Kevin Lee. He just demolished Dan Hooker. And then he lost to Gaethje. And then this one against Paul Felder. And then it made sense for Paul Felder to take this fight because he was on the come up. And heading into this fight, Barboza had lost three of his last four. So he was in the downswing. And you thought, okay, this is his moment. Fine. Again, it's not, look, I don't, I don't at all agree that Felder won. But okay, he won. We've talked about judging on this on the show a million times and how imprecise it is and how you can't really trust it and blah, blah, blah. And then, um, okay, fine. But 30-27? Like, I don't even, I, I, I'm, I'm being dead serious. I don't even know how that's possible for either guy. I don't, I don't even, I don't understand how you get to that. I don't, I don't know what you could look at and say three of those went to Felder. And then, or in the case of Barboza, he like, he won the third? How did Barboza win the third? I, don't, I just don't understand. That was a really, really, really bad scorecard. But Lord knows, maybe the judges were profoundly affected by everything. I, I, um, it's impossible to say, I suppose. Uh, okay, but that's a terrible loss for Edson, who really has tried to reinvent himself. And I thought he looked real slow under that heat. All those guys, except for the main event, looked real slow under that heat. But um, he, he just seemed to be like, you know, the, I mean, look, listen to the guys Edson Barboza has fought in the UFC, ready? Paul Felder twice, Justin Gaethje, Dan Hooker, Kevin Lee, Habib Nurmagomedov, Benil Dariush, Gilbert Melendez, Anthony Pettis, Tony Ferguson, Michael Johnson, Bobby Green, Evan Dunham, Donald Cerrone, Danny Castillo, Rafael Olivero, Lucas Martins, Jamie Varner, Terry Adam, Ross Pearson, and Anthony Kawani. Oh, and then Mike Lulo, all the way back in 2010. He's been doing this for nine years, fighting absolute demons. Fight in and fight out. Yo, it's, it's, I think it's beginning to wear on him a little bit. I think it's beginning to wear on him. Um, Islam Makachev fought Davi Hamosh, 29-27, 30-26, 30-26. I think Davi Hamosh had either, I think, landed something like seven significant strikes. I thought that the odds on this one were off. I thought he would do more. I think he was like a plus 300 underdog. And Davi Hamosh is the guy who won ADCC with a flying armbar against Lucas Lepre back in, what, 2015, 2017, whatever it was. I thought he would do a little bit more with this one, but he just loves to strike. And Makachev is well-rounded and... It just didn't work for him. So, so much for that one. Uh, Curtis Blades defeating Shamil Abdurakimov. This one was about the easiest call you could have made on the whole card. 222 of the second round. Curtis Blades has incorporated. He already had good wrestling. He was faster than Abdurakimov. Um, he was, you know, he was more powerful, explosive. Got up under him, took him down, had good wrestling rides, good control. And what he's really incorporated is good passing and much better ground and pound, particularly with the elbows. And he just demolishes these guys, man. He rearranged f- the face of Abdurakimov. So, um, you know, Blades has lost twice to Francis Ngannou, and that kind of hurts his chances to excel through the through the, the the division. But his development in terms of the incorporation and uh, 
and whatnot of both passing and then damage has really made him a much more dangerous figure and made his wrestling all that much better, right? It hasn't changed his wrestling. He still just does what he does before, but now there's much more consequence to it. So that's nice. Carlos Diego Fajera taking on Merbeck Tysimov. 29-28, 29-27 on two judges' scorecards. He would just gotten Tysimov's face. He just got in his face. And it wasn't just that the jab was there and that he was marching him backwards. That was part of it. It was that I mean, I don't I mean, did he have a speed advantage almost? Makachev, Makachev had a speed advantage over Davi Hamosh. It was just that um Tysimov was just on the back foot and was just reacting, but not like not like in a check hook kind of, you know, Zhang Wiley kind of way. It was more like, uh, like sort of everything was so labored. Again, I don't know how much that heat had to do with it, and I realized that both had to deal with it, but still, let's let's not do that as a way to get the best fights, I would argue. Uh, on your prelim card, Joanne Calderwood defeating Andrea Lee. They were both huffing and puffing by the end of that split decision. That's a big win for Joanne Calderwood, man. She had that loss to Caitlin Shukagian, but since going to uh, Vegas, she has the Kalindra Faria win, the Ariane Lipsky win. She did lose to Shukagian, but then beat Andrea Lee. And Andrea Lee kind of you know put it to, put it on her a little bit, um, but it was a, it was a nice win by her. Zubaira Tugugov gets a win over Lerone Murphy. Split decision. Uh, Sarah Morris defeating Liana Jojua, I never can pronounce her name right, uh, with some TKO punches and elbows, 226 of the third round. Otman Azatar just absolutely flatlined Timu Pakalan at 333 of the first round. Bilal Muhammad with a great, great win over Takashi Sato. People ask me, like, how good is Bilal Muhammad? You know, he's got the losses to Vicente Luque, Alan Joban, and Jeff Neal. He still needs that signature win to show us he can beat that next rung. But if you're a rung below sort of that elite middle, he'll tear you up. He'll tear you to pieces. Uh, Muslim Salikov got a nice win over Nordin Taleb. KO punched 426 of the first round. Easy win for him after uh, a suspension where he was eventually clear, but a suspension from Usada just the same. Omari Akhmedov getting a decision win over Zach Cummings. And then Don Madge in a terrible fight with Ferez Ziam, where they just wrestled in the clinch in the worst way possible. A little, couple of takedowns here or there, but terrible, terrible. Um, do we have any award winners yet? Not that I can see, although we'll get to that if we get to them. Okay, who's got questions, questions? If you've got questions, put it in the – here, let me do this one more time so I can see this correctly. You can subscribe to the channel here, and then you can donate in the Super Chat here. You donate, I will get to your questions. I really appreciate it. All right, let's have a sip of this drink. I'll just drink. Pretty impressive, huh? Okay. A buddy of mine put 100 bucks on Poirier. Feel bad. Uh, by the way, watching Poirier in agony, did that not suck ass? God. Look, man, I'm always torn on these kinds of things. When I watch the sports, I don't know what you watch sports for, but I watch sports for uh, athletic excellence. That's, that's why I watch I know a lot of MMA fans aren't fans of other sports. I am. Uh, I think sports are just phenomenal. I mean, obviously not all of them, but many of them. And when you see somebody as just next level as Habib, you always want to see talent fulfilled, yeah? On the other hand, would it have killed the world to give Dustin Poirier a, a night to remember, you know? Mm. Breaks your heart, doesn't it? It does for me. 
All right, let's get to this. Let's get to this, donks. Um, okay, how about those 100K subscribers? Congrats, long time coming. I appreciate that. I'm going to get that at the very end. Let's get to this UFC 242 stuff. Thumbs up. Yes, indeed. Uh, thanks for all the great content and bringing back the live chat. Yes, it's back, donks. I promised. You get me to 100K, we bring back the live chat. So we're going to get to all those details a little bit later, but stick around. Uh, Mark Sweeney says, Habib is just that good. Yes, sir, he is. David Sandin says, congrats on 100K. How great is Masvidal versus Diaz as a main event at MSG? Oh, my God. I thought for sure they were going to mess that up, you know, with all the news that was coming out during the, the I guess, Thursday and Friday. And they made it, and they're going to make a, a bad MF or belt. Ah, can't wait. So smart. I'm going to be in New York for that fight. I have to miss my daughter's first Halloween for that. You know, not the end of the world, but not great. But it doesn't matter. Like, I get to be there for that one, I, uh, presumably. I mean, I'm still getting credentialed anymore. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Congrats on 100K, Luke. Love what you're doing. I love your effort to change the culture. We, our effort to change the culture. Habib respected the no trash talk approach, but I wish this fight had some of it because it just felt like Dustin was happy to be there. I didn't get that feeling. I didn't get that feeling. Am I right to be disgusted with Habib, the UFC, and the UAE for Kadyrov being there? No, you are not wrong. I can't like Habib for that reason. I understand that completely. I, uh, it makes it hard to like him, but he's as a talent. As a talent, he's just... Holy shit, he's good. Uh, Dustin seems so anxious about Habib's wrestling that he just wouldn't throw and even try getting forward pressure on the feet. While it's understandable, it's incredibly disappointing and doesn't feel like we got the fight we should have. I disagree. I didn't think he looked... Well, he looked like he was, as I think Dominic Cruz said, thinking in the second round. To me, he didn't look anxious. He looked unfocused. Like, oh, I had a plan about how I wanted to strike, then all of the wrestling happened, and now I'm just going to strike in a completely different way. It looked like he had just departed from what he was supposed to be doing. That, to me, was was what I, I picked up on. I mean, I'll have to watch it again, but he got, it, it looked to me like he got derailed. Not like, you know, uh, oh, what am I going to do next? But, um, all right, you know what? Fuck it. I'm off the plan. Let's just roll this different way, and that's just never a good way to go. Uh, someone says, Ethan says, we say glass go, not glass gal. All right, good to know. Uh, there's a few people who are giving uh, money here or there. Cable Digital says, Habib versus John Jones. Well, too much of a weight difference. The Jim Birdman says, think Brian Ortega could go up and beat Habib. So Dean Thomas from, you guys know on uh, looking forward to a fight or looking for a fight, or ATT coach, former UFC fighter. He thinks that Brian Ortega would be a terrible, not terrible, but like an interesting matchup for Habib. I tend to think that I don't know how much guard play. I mean, the rule on guard play is that unless your guard is absolutely magnificent, it's going to be hard to submit anybody from guard. But So rather than submit, sweeping, creating space, maybe that's possible. So it would, again, even if you have a good guard, you still have to have the right game plan to use that guard. And I don't know if he's going to have that, so we'll have to see. But you get the idea. Uh, that Indian dude says, really impressed with Makachev as well. You know, he had that loss to uh, Adriano Martins where he gets head kicked kind of early in his career. And I think some people were like, oh, that's just Habib's sidekick. Mm -mm. That dude is good. That dude is very good. Uh, and, we, and I went over it on the Monday Morning Analyst with the Armin Saryukian fight where he had the good foot sweeps. He's good in the clinch. He can strike at distance. He's got good wrestling. He's well prepared. He's like, got, He's got grit. Yeah, he's a handful. He's a problem for that division, and he's only going to get better. 
if Habib was able to break Poirier, he didn't really break him. Well, I guess tapping is breaking. Breaking to me always seems like, I don't know. I don't get, that's, that's, that's tough to explain. I'll say this. I won't argue that tapping is not breaking. What I will say is, to me, there's a qualitative difference between getting choked and tapping when the choke is fully sunk, which to me is more of a chess move than getting beaten to the point where you just don't want to get off the stool. Those, to me, feel like two different things. One is you got outsmarted. You got beat on two, but you got outsmarted. And another one is you just got physically annihilated. Now, he got physically, he got banged up, no denying it. But the way, the choke was so deep that hand fighting was pointless. Well, if hand fighting is pointless, what choice do you really have, right? So that, that's why, to me, it's like, if there's, if, if you always still have a choice, and, and yes, you could say you could still go out, but then you just go out, like, you're still, you're going to lose no matter what. If the choice is you can still physically continue, like, he couldn't physically continue. He was either going to go out or he was going to say, I'm done. Um... That to me is a little bit different. You might have a different opinion. I won't. I won't. You know, I won't go to the mat too hard for that one. But um, Chevelle writes. Uh, hopefully it works. But big fans, Luke, and great card. You guys know that band Chevelle, like uh, some of the pain below, and um, um, uh, they've had a million. I think they've had like nine albums. They were like the, the the dudes during my college years. They hit me up. Can you believe this? They hit me up, man. They invited me to come back to a show. Uh, yeah, man. I'll do that. I'll come out and see Chevelle. That'd be cool as shit. So. Thanks to you guys, and thanks for the great tunes. Uh, all right, Terry Thomas writes, congratulations on 100K, Donk. Thank you, Terry. Formidable Frank says, Luke, just upgraded to the A7 III, which is what you're watching this on. Thanks to you. Can you refer any lenses, prime or otherwise, that you have enjoyed the most? So this one I've got is, I think, the kit lens. This one is my 1224. Let me see if I can see here. Now, it's a Sony lens which means it's like butt expensive. Um, whenever I shoot, uh, you guys, I'll, I'll, I'll sit here and then I'll have um, Aaron, uh, Eric Kerner sit here. So it's a two-person shot. Or if you've ever seen like a two-person shot from my interviews on my radio show, it's shot on this because I can get the wide angle on it. Um, but it's expensive as fuck. The Sony, this, this <laughs> you could buy a used car for how much this costs. But it, it's extremely, it, for me, it's been... I've, I've only bought uh, three lenses. This is full frame. So for full frame, I've gotten this one and the one you're watching this on. And then I've got my... Hang on. And then I've got my APS-C. And for that, I got the kit lens as well. This is the A6400. Right? So these are the only two cameras I really use. I have some old camcorders, but these are really the only two cameras that I have. Um, and this is the 1650. Is that what that is? Really? All right. Anyway, those are the two that I use, the three that I use, essentially two cameras, three lenses, all interchangeable because they're all Sony. So there you go. That, that's, but I'm, but guys, if you've been watching this channel for any amount of time, what you know is technology is not necessarily my, my strong suit. I have been self-taught on everything, everything. So Take my recommendations with a very strong grain of salt. 
All right. You like Tony's chances. What I like is a new idea and approach to fighting because doing the same old thing is not going to work. So somebody like Tony, I think, interjects a spirit of differentiation that I can appreciate. Does that mean he's going to win? You know, I don't know. But I know he's not going to do the same old thing, and so therefore it be a little bit different. Uh, Corwin Prescott writes, we can't hear it, man. You are good. Um, Perry... Upple says, hey, Luke, big fan of your work. Congrats on 100K. Do you feel GSP versus Habib at 155 would be competitive, or do you see it the same as Habib's other fights? I suppose that might be interesting, but since there's no way the UFC makes that fight, I don't I don't know. Um, it's impossible to say. Steven says, thanks for the post-fight show. I couldn't hear the baby. All right, well, good. Someone says, mom, meatloaf. <laughs> I deserve it. I deserve it. I can't lie. Uh, Finkster says, with Diaz Masvidal booked for November at MSG instead of December in Vegas, is it likely that UFC are trying to keep that main event slot open for Habib versus Tony to close 2019? That, or, you know, um, maybe for the welterweight title, right? Hard to say exactly without knowing more specifics, but yes, yes. Um, uh, yes is the answer, because they're definitely going to want it. I, I think that they probably don't mind having a non-title fight if it's the right non-title fight in November, but their closeout show in December, which is usually, I'm sweating like a pig, which is usually at the end of the year. This year, I think it's going to be the middle of December. They want a title fight for that, if not two, so for sure. Alex Fuller uh, says, okay, 100K plus subs, podcast time, you know it, it's coming. Is there any likelihood that Habib versus GSP could still happen? Zero. Guys, Habib told Robin Black just this week, just this week, he said, yeah, here's the deal. If I fight Habib and I win or I lose, if I win, I'm not fighting again. Okay, well, you know what? I appreciate St. Pierre's candor, but there's no way they're going to give him that fight. I mean, it's just never going to happen. So, If not Tony, then who can beat him? Gaethje. Gaethje is an interesting choice. But Gaethje has to get through Cerrone first, so we'll see. Um, okay. Andrew writes, do you see Tony being passed up if Habib pushes for a GSP fight? There's not going to be a GSP fight. Effective Tony's elbows will have in Habib fight. Here's what I mentioned about Habib. No one's knocked him down. No one's cut him. No one's cut him. Think about how many times you've seen Dustin Poirier cut, including but not limited to tonight. A gazillion times, right? You've never seen someone cut up Habib. Tony can do it underneath, right? That This is what I'm talking about. Somebody who's got a completely separate approach to the game where contact becomes a liability. If contact with, if you're fighting Habib and Habib thinks getting close to you is a liability for him, you have inverted the fight. Should Habib fight the winner of Diaz Masvidal and become the first ever lightweight and BMF double belt holder? I wouldn't be mad at it. <laughs> I wouldn't be mad at it at all. Habib versus Tony needs to be next or we riot. Yes, sir. That is the correct answer. Rob says, what do you reckon the new cattle decapitation single? I've not heard it. I've not heard it. I've been out of the loop. Uh, corrupted with a $50 donation. Look at this. Says, uh, congrats on the 100K. Can't wait, for you, uh, can't wait for you to keep doing what you're doing, but now with more access, thanks so much for everything you do, man. Congrats on the baby as well. You guys are the best, man. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate that. Sam... Oops, yeah. Sam writes, Tony scramble with a good Iminari roll to open space, maybe. 
Maybe that might be one way to do it. That's certainly one possibility. And then DJ Enrique says, what is going on with the 170 belt, Usman and Colby? Yeah, you got to follow the guys who talk to the managers for that. I don't do any of that shit. So um, your guess is as good as mine on that one, to be to be quite clear. But uh, no, nothing good. Although MMA media is showing their ass again on this one. You know, anytime Colby, sorry, anytime a deserving challenger gets, you know, trouble getting a fight, everyone blames the UFC. Colby gets trouble getting a fight, and apparently it's his fault. I always love that. That that always tells you who we no we don't we don't hate we don't hate Colby. We just call it down the middle. Do ya? Is that what you do? Okay. Uh, Miguel says Tony has the best chance to win. He'll he will constantly move forward and won't give Habib an inch. He doesn't get tired, and he's the best in the scramble. Tony will cut with him with his blades. That's a big deal. Imagine Habib getting cut. And now, by the way, you've got the sweat. And the blood to slick in everything, which makes the like, the tight control even harder. So this is what this is what I'm saying. If your game, I'm gonna say it one more time. If your game plan is, oh, if I get taken out, I'm just gonna build myself back up. Yo, you're gonna you're gonna get demolished fighting that guy. You're gonna get demolished. You need somebody with some fresh ideas. Maybe Tony's that guy. Maybe he's not. But it, it I a he deserves the chance, and I I tend to think he probably is now. Let me say something here. If you got any more uh, questions that come in, I'll answer them. Um, we we did it, y'all. Well, I, I, actually, I should say, you did it. You did it. We crossed one hundred thousand subscribers on this channel. I, <clears throat> it is literally something I can't do without you. I mean, I can make all the content in the world. I can host a million live shows. I can, you know, I can, I can, I can do everything, but you have to be the one to click. Yes. You have to be the one to care. You have to be the one to stick around. And yes, it's my job to make you do that. But the point being is ultimately it's your choice. And so when I look at that, look, I know that there are channels bigger than this one in MMA and well beyond. And I think PewDiePie has like, I don't know, 20 million or more subscribers. I mean, he's got some astronomically high number in that sense, 100,000 is not so much. But to me, to me, man, 100,000 is like, is that, it's, every, it's everything. It's everything, right? It's everything. Because I've been looking for, uh, I just never feel like I ever really fit in in the MMA media, you know, landscape. Right, I've always had people try to make me do things I didn't want to do, or I put myself in positions that I didn't think were right. You know, you can't blame everybody else. Sometimes it's just your own fault. And um, people had certain jobs, and I'm like, but I don't want to do what you're doing. I want to do something else. You know, I've got 15 hours a week uh, of radio I do on Sirius XM, and I've got this budding relationship with Showtime that's going great. Um, but here, I get to call all the shots, and I get to do the kind of content that I want to do. In fact, I'm barely even scratching the surface on that because um, I'm self-taught. But the point being is, here is the, I'm not saying the one place, that's not true. But here is a place where I don't ever feel out of place. I don't ever feel like I'm like, well, that doesn't make, I mean, what? how, how am I going to convince this fucking corporate over, overlord to uh, to like what I do? I just get to come on here and say, you know what I think would be awesome content? This or that or whatever. And I, I just get to do it. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But 
what I've found is that like one of the reasons why I didn't fit in is because they're looking for something that I'm not necessarily built for, but I'm built for plenty of other things that I think you guys pretty clearly at this point can say you enjoy. And so let me just do that. And I can have a direct relationship to you. I don't need any, I mean, yes, YouTube's the middleman, but in terms of any editor having a say, I don't, I am the editor. You to a degree are the editor. Um, and that's exactly how it should be, man. When I started branding myself, you know, like putting Luke Thomas in all the titles and having that logo with my face, I felt like the biggest douchebag on earth. I'm not even saying I'm not, but it was really uncomfortable. But in the end, what I have found is that, dude, these institutions in MMA and in, and in sports generally, but especially in MMA, dude, they will fail you. If you're a media member, they will fail you. You are putting all your effort into an institution that could crumble, that doesn't want you, that doesn't understand you, that may be great but just can't last, whatever, right? They, they will fail you. Having a direct relationship with the audience, with no editor to fuck up what you're trying to do, that's the way to do it. That's the way to do it. And this is living proof, man. And I hope you guys understand something. I know you guys, for folks who may not know, um, Chael and I were good. We, we talked on the phone. We squashed our differences. We talked it out. We're good. I've seen some people being like, yo, Chael puts up all this content. Um, how come you can't do more? Well, again, I got a radio show and I got some other stuff going on. But the other part is like, dude, that camera you're watching this on, like I had to get the money to go buy it. I had to teach myself how to use it. I had to, the computer that's streaming this, I had to like I had to teach myself OBS and um, how to make thumbnails and uh, what f-stop is and how to get a blurry background with a focus um, on the foreground and what ISO means and, um, you know, how to, how to put uh, uh, end cards and, uh, or, you know, um, end screens and cards and how to, how to, how search affects YouTube, like I had to teach myself all of this stuff and I have to, I, I still shoot my own videos, I edit my own videos, I put my own thumbnails up, I make my own, I do everything. Um, I'm, I'm not mad at you, like good for him, he's got a dude who does all that stuff for him and a couple people I think, that's what I'm, I'm trying to, I'm not mad at him, I'm trying to get to that, I want what he has in that regard, but in the meantime, it's just me dude, it's just me on the APS-C A6400, it's just me on the Sony A7 III, it's just me. It's just me. So um, if this thing can keep going the way it's going, then, you know, you just never know what could be next. We could do huge, huge things. So you've already gotten me really far. As a consequence, folks, the live chat is back. The live chat is back. It is back. I'm not sure if it will start next week or the week after. The only reason I would have a slight delay is because we wanted to have merch ready. And I thought I had like another month before it was going to happen. So I've been working with uh, the guy who did the original merch with the promotional more practice live chat. We're going to redo a bunch of merch and have it ready for you. If you guys want it, like mugs, hats, shirts, the whole bit. We were supposed to have it ready for you. We thought we, it was going to be like October, November. And then all of a sudden, first week of September, it happened. So it ended up being what we got there. Um, so I, I apologize for uh, if there's a slight, slight, slight delay. But once it gets going, here's the one thing. It can't be called the promotional malpractice live chat. Um, uh, Vox owns the rights to that name. So it has to be renamed. Probably going to go with Luke Thomas live chat. It's uninspired, but it's simple. If you have a different suggestion, you can email me, LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. was toying with like Final Say live chat or Half Beat live chat or something like that. Um, but I guess it would be up to you. But let me just say this one time. 
thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It has been one of the most rewarding projects I have ever worked on in terms of setting a goal and achieving it to get 100K. And it's, I owe everything to you, to you. Can't, can't be stated more simply than that. If you have ever felt like you are trying to make progress and it feels like it's going nowhere, I'm not saying just do the same thing over and over again and if it doesn't work, well, you know, if you just try hard enough, it will. Sometimes it won't. But if you are making progress and you know it's you're making progress, keep swinging the axe. Keep swinging the axe because if you do, I remember when I would be like, I'd be like 37,000 and I was like, oh my God, 100,000 feels so far away. Well, here we are. The day has arrived. This is the time because I kept swinging the axe and you gave me a reason to keep swinging that axe. And so incremental progress, it adds up, man. It, 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 it will, you, that is, that's really how life works. Some people, some people just, they, you know, they are instantaneous hits or they get, they get to, to great places so fast and good for them, man. I'm not even mad at them. Like, Good. What, what, you know, I, I wish I could have had that, but I don't wish that you didn't, right? Like, um, as the rest of us, sometimes we just have to swing the axe over and over and over until you get blisters, until your hands bleed, until you're tired and you want to quit. You know how many times I put a video up on this channel? I just didn't feel like it. I didn't want to do that Habib video yesterday. I was so tired when I got home from work yesterday because I got the baby at home and I'm not sleeping and the whole bit. And I said, you know what? Keep swinging the axe. I knew I was close. And if I put that on there, it would get me over the hump. And sure enough, there it is. Keep swinging the axe. All right, I've seen a couple more of these come in. We'll do these and then we'll go. Yeah? All right. Um, I feel so bad, uh, that Indian dude says, for Dustin Pori. He's a good lad. My heart breaks for him too, man. It really, really breaks for him. If Habib walks away at 30-0 like his father has planned, who do you predict will be his remaining opponents? Tony and maybe Connor again? Something like that. Uh, Wesley says, thanks for all the quality content. What's next for Felder? Ooh, he's going to jump up in the rankings. I would say he was at 10 coming into this. I would say he beat Edson at 7. Maybe an Iaquinta fight, although Iaquinta's got his hands full coming up against Hooker. Maybe the winner of uh, Iaquinta versus Hooker, which, by the way, would be an awesome fight, right? Where does Connor fit in the game? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Because to me, he is so divorced from the lightweight title picture. Uh, if Cowboy beats Justin, do you think he falls behind Tony for yet another title shot? Maybe. But I don't know. Justin's a tough matchup, man. Cheers from Norway, he says. Thank you. Well done on your first 100K subs. Can't wait for the podcast on what you do when you reach 250K. Yeah, we'll worry about that later. Uh, someone says, Dustin took one minute into one round to back up to the fence. Yeah. It was just not the right game plan. It just wasn't. All right. Thank you guys so much for watching the video. Subscribe to the channel. Uh, like the video. Give it a thumbs up, the whole bit. I will put this uh, podcast on SoundCloud. Again, I'm going to get everything set up with the live chat on Spotify, on iTunes, on Stitcher, the whole nine yards. Give me some time to get to it. Um, but in the meantime, you guys are the best, man. You guys are the best. You helped me accomplish a real, legitimate, meaningful to me professional goal and it and I um I am so humbled and honored and grateful 
Thank you. Thank you. Let's keep this fucking shit rolling. Shall we? We shall. All right. I would normally tell you to go get some sleep. You know what I'm going to say? Go get drunk. Go have a good time. Thank you guys so much for watching. I'm Luke Thomas. See y'all.